gentlemen, please give it up for Greg Proops. Welcome once again to the Greg Proops Film Club here at Los Angeles' most temporal and fabulous palace of the cinema, the one where the arts of cinematic persuasion are displayed in vivid relief in front of a crowd of disbelieving people gasping in wonder, the Cine Family, located here in the overpriced eBay t-shirt, <laughs> the eBay Senishoe District. Where athletic shoes are bought and then sold again at exorbitant prices, but moments later, by fervent young people standing in epic lines. And uh, there's one part of capitalism that we're certain works in LA, uh, and it's the sale of expensive uh, athletic uh, footwear and uh, flat caps. Uh, this street is awash in them. It is the Blade Runner of flat caps and expensive athletic shoes. You cannot spit, nor can you swing a dead cat without hitting an entire band of people wearing them uh, who stare at you with some delight in their eyes. Uh, this is their neighborhood now. Um, you know what I mean? It's like Israel gave Palestine back. You know what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, uh, the teenagers have taken over the neighborhood. There's still a few holdouts. Uh, there's a few Ju Judaica places. And of course, Cantor stands as a monument at the end of this block we haven't mentioned in a long time. The, uh, the, the antique sandwiches, the attitude, the sass. Uh, everything that makes Cantor's what it is. The kibitz room, uh, uh, the, the unfathomable toilets, um, which are located very inconveniently at, at far stretches of the building and uh, located in corners that uh, are impossible to find. And once again, we find ourselves here at the Cine Family. And what makes this so exciting is, one, these are live films shown in front of a live audience, and that's what this podcast is all about. We show pictures live, and then you are to watch them at home if you can get them for free on the Internet. And tonight's show uh, is uh, Joel and Ethan Cohn's 1987 uh, screwball fantastic uh, comedy classic uh, starring Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter called Raising Arizona. That's what we'll be showing here tonight. <laughs> Everyone came for the same reason, because we want to laugh. This movie's off the wall, a breakneck, nonstop, frenetic roller coaster. Uh, there's nothing but gigantic uh, uh, excitement and fun in every moment of this picture. So, uh, we're talking about the Cine family here, and it's a little movie house, you know, located on Fairfax. It says silent movie theater in front. They haven't changed the sign, which I dig, and uh, there's pictures of different... Uh, idols of the cinema all along the walls. There's Buster Keaton and then no one else that you recognize. And, and it's, it's, it's a very intimate exact... Thank you. I'll, I'll handle the whole show from right up here. Uh, but before you said it was an interactive thing where the most important element was the live audience, unless they're going to usurp me in any way or say something funny that I didn't hear offhand because my hearing is terrible. Uh, yet I, I'm not going to have you repeat it, whatever you said. I'm sure it was the name of a star. Yes, Pola Negri is one of my favorites as well. Uh, there's a, the smell of popcorn in the air, as, as, a, as a movie theater should be. However, uh, because it's an old-time movie theater, and we show old-time pictures here, as well as, of course, the hippest uh, shit in the land. Uh, for instance, last weekend, I believe Hal Hartley was here uh, with a live interview showing some of his pictures and whatnot. And uh, uh, it's always groovy. Um, what I'm getting at is uh, some of the equipment and some of the seats you'll find that you're sitting on are uh, uh, from a bygone era. Uh, an era when technology was uh, dealt with with uh, oil cans and guys in turned around hats with a cigarette hanging thinly out of the side of their mouth with a, tapping a wrench on their forehead going, I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
so it, 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 everything doesn't work the way it should all the time. It, uh, I've played here for several years now, and the employees' bathroom, where I make my ablutions before this show, I light some incense, and I have a picture of uh, Fred Astaire and the picture of Sid Charisse, and I kneel down in front of them, and I, I take a sweet tart, and I put it under my tongue, and I take absolution. I... In that uh, employee's restroom that you've never been into, and thank your lucky goddamn fucking comet that swirls elliptically around the universe that you've never been into that bathroom, uh, finally has soap and towels. Uh, it has for the last few months, but I just wanted to hip everybody to the listening audience because I know there's a lot of downloads on this and people really want to talk about film. And this is what we're talking about. Uh, finally, there's a, a soap in there. The other bathrooms, of course, have been uh, lavishly furnished with soap and towels uh, at all points during the history, the long storied history of a cinema family or whatever they're called here. And we were uh, at another film festival last weekend, my wife and I. Jennifer uh, uh, collaborates with, with me on the show and she chose tonight's fine motion picture. Uh, it wasn't a difficult choice as we uh, probably, like all of you, and I'm guessing a lot of the people listening to this, uh, do a lot of the dialogue to this movie all the time to each other uh, to amuse yourselves because... Huge chunks of it are wildly memorable uh, and easily memorized, quite frankly. If this is your first time on the Raising Arizona ride, hey, it's like the game. Welcome. I remember my first time. Uh, yeah, let's settle back into a cozy chair and pour yourself a snipter. Or fucking pour a chalice of, uh, of yak. Uh, if you don't have yak, uh, whatever. You know, malt liquor, beer, anything you got around the crib. Manischewitz. We're in this neighborhood. Let's get crazy. Let's get crazy with some dog. Who's with me? And, uh, and really uh, get into this one. Uh, so we were at the uh, TCM Film Festival. Here's the point. We went to see a, a dazzling variety of movie stars speak about themselves. Uh, we saw Sophia Loren, who we'll discuss on another uh, uh, upcoming uh, proof cast of the great Proops Film Club. Uh, Sophia Loren gets a good, uh, uh, I was going to say working over, but that's almost too horrible a phrase to really, uh, l- let's just say we try to take an avian view uh, of her career uh, by skittering over the treetops. And uh, in any case, we also saw, and, and Sophia Lauren, I, like you, in your lifetime once you need to see someone who's been what they call an international star because it's different than uh, a regular star. Like there's awesome stars. You could, if you hang around this neighborhood, you could see Lisa Vanderpump almost anytime you want, right? Or any of the people who work at, uh, at the uh, uh, Vanderpump Rules restaurants. Um, you can almost... As you drive down Robertson, you can almost inhale the STDs. And so we're used to celebrity here in a big way. But uh, when you see someone like uh, Sophia Loren, it was, uh, it was boomtacious. It was boomtroculous. You've really felt as if you hadn't done enough uh, of anything. Um, self-tanning, uh, you hadn't done enough uh, uh, hair that day. Uh, your tinted shades, blue and were weak and paltry compared to the magnitude of her tinted shades, which dominated you from the early 70s. I don't know where she got them. Uh, once upon a day is where she got them in a fairy wonderland of fucking broomtroculous babes that walked up the Spanish steps and enchanted every movie star from 1950 to 19 whenever, uh, to, to now. Uh, she, was, she was interlocking parabolas in Mortal Kombat. That's what her figure was. There's no other way but to go Richard Feynman on this and say there's an infinite amount of ways Sophia Loren can enter your universe. She is the Schrodinger's cat of movie stars in so much as you're not going to be sure when you're titillated and when you're just acting real because she's so titillating. Uh, It's a question. It's a conundrum. She is two giant pointed conundrums uh, facing you down and making you look at your own reality, and it's, it's pretty vast. 
Uh, not only that, she was a superb actress. They showed um, uh, Marriage Italian style, and it uh, was off the deep end. Yeah, De Sica, always worth it. Will you be showing any De Sica soon in the Greg Proops Film Club? Let's just get through the summer and see how we do. <laughs> we also saw Peter Fonda, and he was revelatory. Uh, you don't use that word a lot uh, about people if you can help it. It's like genius. It's, it's a little overhacked, but he was. Uh, he talked about Henry. That's what he was there for. So, in essence, he talked about himself in his childhood. I won't go into that part. The best part is he was wildly emotional and became highly upset at one point and then was cool at another point. And he used a lot of groovy. He said far out and stuff like that. It was really, yeah, it was fucking cool. And then we saw Shirley MacLaine. Now, Shirley MacLaine has lived in a wall of, uh, of, of, of self-enchantment, as my wife would say. Uh, she's, she drank an enormous uh, Scottish play's worth of brew uh, uh, that a chorus of witches made of self-enchantment a long time ago. And she's been pixelated beyond measure for a good long time. Uh, no one is going to slump shoulder Bob Fosse your dick into the ground like her. Uh, no one is going to fucking wear a nun's outfit in a Clint Eastwood movie like her. And uh, no one is going to write 17 books about shit they didn't do like her. So they got her up there, and she looks fantastic, a little shorter. Uh, she's, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of whatever. And uh, she still had the pixie do, raging, and the eyes, right, the smile, fantastic. And she would say dick jokes. And when she said the dick jokes, she would do the, I can't believe I just said a dick joke, even though I'm this age and I've been doing dick jokes for fucking 78 years now. Uh, and one of them was, uh, uh, she goes, Jack Nicholson was in um, uh, Terms of Endearment. And every time I came to the door in that one important scene, it was different. Uh, he opens up the door one time, and he's naked. And everything's there. And a woman in the back yells out, how big was it? And she goes, it's too long a story. <laughs> and then goes, ah. <laughs> If they could see me now, <laughs> If she'd only done that. Uh, Nicholson was naked once Had someone with him once Was in a clown outfit I think was one Like it was pretty wild It was over the fucking top It was everything you wanted And when you saw the clip They showed a little clip package of Shirley MacLaine um, They showed Nicholson in that year And he was still He still looked like a human You know he didn't look like You know what I mean Like he, there's two periods of, You know there's the 70s You know obviously 60s the, And the weird early late 50s But uh, the early 60s Nicholson And then the Late 60s when he's, you know, getting groovier. And then there's like the parody 80s version. And then the uh, sort of awesome movie star that's been around the last 20 years. But he's big and he doesn't give a shit. And uh, that sort of distinguishes him from all the other animals. That and the fact that his hair will take on its own atmospheric shapes <laughs> at any point. Um, why are we talking about Shirley MacLaine? Because she made a movie with an actor named Nicholas Cage called Guarding Tess, and she brought the movie up. Uh, they were asking her about all the leading men. People were just yelling guys out. And someone said, Nicolas Cage. And she went, I love making Guarding Tess. And she went, Nicolas Cage was a nice young man. <laughs> and I wanted to go on record here on this show that this is the show that agrees with Shirley MacLaine. We think Nicolas Cage is a nice young man. I won't have it with the craziness and all of the tabloid this and that and all the reputation he gets and stuff like that. 
Um, when you watch this picture, uh, this is a good old-fashioned comedy. And by that I mean uh, it, there's a, not a lot of redeeming uh, moral and social issues broached, other than the normal ones that are broached in every motion picture were that, uh, of course, the precepts by which we live here at the Greg Proofs Film Club, that the poor are uh, ceaselessly trodden upon by the wealthy, and that uh, in the end, thank you, in the end, the whole purpose of mankind is to revolt against our overlords who wish to destroy the creative spirit that's in all of us. However, having said that, uh, that and, of course, the suppression of women being the foremost problem of all of our times. What does this have to do with the show tonight? I think you'll find, in the fullness of time, the richness of my comments seeping into your very soul. But they seem, at the outset, obvious, Greg, and somewhat pedantic. One might even say proselytizing. Mm, and yet, when I weave them into the whoop and warp and weft of the majestic First Nations blanket of cinema that I intend on fucking pulling out of my proops loom here tonight... By my words, so shall you know me. By flipping to another podcast, so shall you remember me. I know uh, some people were tweeting tonight because I saw your tweets. There was two women who were tweeting tonight, and you had the funniest goddamn tweet. Eating like we're pregnant, I think it was. Somebody went and got ice cream and then went to Cantor's. Was that you guys? You went to, first you had ice cream, then you went to Cantor's? Are we, are we expecting a bundle of joy? No. <laughs> because this movie is a lot about that. Uh, this movie, more than any movie, is about expectations unfulfilled. So thank you for not fulfilling them. I appreciate that. I'm not having kids either. Are we, Jennifer? No, it's fantastic. <laughs> but you know what I love? These shoes. I got them in London. And they're um, Margaret Howell boots. They're like little high, uh, semi-high-top boots. I am so fucking proud of them. <laughs> You know, people are always like, oh, you know, my child uh, is at a school and this and that. I keep these boots so shine and they look so cool. You know, what are people who aren't parents supposed to be proud of? Their lives. Thank you. This movie's a lot about that. And how in the end, and welcome latecomers, I saw you come in. I, I know you thought you had the Klingon cloaking shield, and by crouching and assuming the form of Australopithecus, and er, you were early man, you could sneak across the gorge, and I wouldn't see you from my position up here where the predators are. Later you'll find one of your number hung upside down. When one of you walks into the bathroom and there's that moment, and it's just a hand in the corner, right? No one ever sees it because we cut away. We cut away back to me. Up here, going. <laughs> and then the globe opened. More of my magic sauce. Latecomers will be dealt with in their own way. It's always the 40s when I rock the mic, rock the mic, rock the mic. Sweet Maria. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so this, uh, this picture uh, has a lot about uh, wanting to have babies. We don't really discuss the plots of movies here. You might have determined uh, anybody can talk about the plot of a movie. There's nothing more horrible than listening to someone tell you the whole plot of something they just saw because the inevitable question at the end of that story is always, what else have you seen? <laughs> Nicholas Cage's career uh, was not... He had done a couple of pictures when he did this one. Uh, and this is in between like Red Rock West 
And uh, then there's that rowing one that I love. What's that one? No one? Fuck you. I depend on you. Some of you are pregnant. Oh, you're pretending to be pregnant, but eating that way. And I love that about you. Uh, Boy Blue? What the fuck was that one? But then, then of course, he he jumps into the golden period of uh, Moonstruck and uh, Peggy Sue and... uh, uh, the, uh, the male leads we were talking about tonight, there's always an element uh, of creepiness uh, that Nicolas Cage will do. However, I believe that he has the fiber of someone who is insanely striving to be good in every goddamn movie he's in. A few of the recent ones, and I know that I'm having to reach back a little bit. Lord of War is a movie that I can't talk enough about. Uh, his performance in it and the content of the motion picture. And uh, it's really worth your time. I don't think he's down and out, and I don't like those kind of men's magazine articles that you always read and, you know, like, Cheeky Buns 3 or whatever. Like, men's magazines always have horrible na- Maxim, to me, was always like, ew, gross. It's like a condom that I don't want on. You know what I mean? Like, the Maxim condom hurts because there's, like, a metal clip that it never fits right and, like, ugh, you know? Uh, I don't dig that. Uh, but uh, they always, uh, you know, oh, he's crazy, he's this, he's that. Mm. What Nicholas Cage is, is in full possession of whatever's going on. And at any point, might crack out some shit that'll blow your fucking mind, is in my opinion, uh, what's going on with him. Uh, the early 80s period, uh, or rather late 80s of this, is I think 87. Um, everyone in this picture jumped off to something bigger. Frances McDormand had only done really like uh, Blood Simple before this. She comes in as Dot in this. Holly Hunter hadn't been in much. And uh, they gave her this part, and then after this, she did um, uh, 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 broadcast news and uh, all, and all of her southern dramas. Uh, uh, William, William Forsythe, who plays one of the idiot brothers in this, uh, goes on to a lengthy career in every police procedural and every action film <laughs> that has been produced that has the word Brooke or Heimer in it. Uh, and lost a bunch of weight, you'll see after this movie. Uh, John Goodman, of course, got Roseanne right after this movie. And John Goodman is another actor who I believe uh, is full of power and fury and really in a lot of ways is the Wallace Beery, if you follow my drift, and of this era. Um, he had a lot of missed things and a lot of things that have gone different. But uh, again, you have to look back at the entire body of work. When you look at something like Barton Fink or... Uh, uh, um, uh, oh, Christ, I'm forgetting the name of the fucking one that everybody never stops talking about. That I, yeah, exactly. The one that I was going to say that the one that I'm never going to show in the film club, much to everyone's disappointment. I'm never going to show the Big Lebowski because I, I feel like the Big Lebowski has its giant niche already earned, and we try to air movies that have are obscure, like Raising Arizona. Like for instance, we showed Point Break, and I don't think that's ever had a fair hearing. We might show Point Break again. You know what I mean? I'm not kidding. The, you can laugh. Uh, no, one, no one here is laughing out of derisiveness, but uh, uh, people can laugh all they want, like the monkey children they are. And by the way, the first picture we ever showed was a Buckaroo Bonsai. We've only shown three movies from the 80s. In two years, three years, we've only shown three movies from the 80s. Tonight's picture, uh, a Buckaroo Bonsai and uh, 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 the Return of the Living Dead. Living Dead. Not part two, Return of the Living Dead part one, the Dan O'Bannon one. Um, John Goodman in... Uh, um, uh, Big Lebowski and uh, Barton Fink is, is, is a superb actor. He's a superb actor anyway. And not only that, a great comedian. And I think uh, 
that, that, that this picture is the jumping off point for a zillion careers, not to mention the Coen brothers. And then, of course, you can talk about the whole distillation of, you know, they, uh, welcome, there's a, you know, just any old place. You know what they need here? Uh, they need ushers with little hats that you wear on a snap on your neck that have the little round things that are like a little, you know what I mean? Like in a, has anyone ever been on a, a California Adventure? There's a ride called the Haunted Hollywood, what's it called? What's it called? The Tower of Terror. Yeah. That was all, I'm from San Francisco. That was on too many marquees in the 80s when I lived there for me to... Yes. The Tower of Terror. Uh, the Tower of Terror uh, is uh, built like an old Hollywood hotel and you go up inside and it's fantastically... The, uh, spoiler alert, um, it's, if you ever do it. It's Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone. So they do the whole Twilight Zone opening with the eyeball coming at you and everything and you hear... In 1935, the woman checked into this hotel. She didn't know that she was going to enter. And then I think the whole gig is you drop 15 stories, 14 stories, pretty quick. Uh, almost as quick as you would if you were really dropping, except you know, the, through the miracle of uh, uh, you know, take money nation or whatever it's called, uh, uh, where we take revenue flow and have them have a positive experience. And then we take it, yeah, and money is removed from their wallets, $38 at a time. And yeah, it's you know, that corporate hypnotizing that people do where they create a film park and you're somehow in it. But they take a picture of you when you're falling down the 14 stories and, uh, and they sell it to you at the end. And I was with a friend of mine named Chip Eston. Yes, he shall go named. And uh, Chip is on a show right now called Nashville on ABC. And he plays a character named Deacon. And he's very sexy indeed. He slept with all the other characters on the show. And he's an ex-alcoholic. Not in real life. On TV. On TV. And, uh, and he's a country star. And I, like I say, I never recommend you watch network television unless you're going to watch Nashville with my friend Chip Eston on it. And uh, Chip and I were on this roller coaster because we were doing a movie uh, for Canadian TV called... I don't know what it was. Colin Mockery was the star of it. And it was the story of a man who worked in an office. And then when he went to Disney World in Florida, it made him like want to live his life again and shit. It was sponsored by Disney, if you haven't caught the drift so far. <laughs> so they brought us down for a couple days. Anyway, we shot one day and he, we did improv with him. That was the joke. Like he walked into an improv show in the middle of Disney World and we brought him on stage and his socks changed color. I'm not kidding. That was what indicated your personality was better. And which I, in Canada is a, a actual, it's true. <laughs> if you know any Canadians and one day all of a sudden they're wearing like persimmons colored socks and you're like, whoa, that's a little change from the usual, you know, sepia. Uh, they're gonna, they might be like, last night I had an epiphany. And you're like, I don't care what woodwind instrument you had. <laughs> What's the point of this story? Chip and I were on the Tower of Terror. Uh, and then later, of course, in his room. <laughs> um, that was more like the enchilada of disappointment, Greg, don't you think? We were on the Tower of Terror. And uh, I discovered something about Charles, which I hadn't known up until that point, which is that um, he's terrified of roller coasters. I, uh, even, even despite what I look like and how I act, and I know I'm prissy, and yes, I was wearing a suit when we were on the roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm all for it. Uh, I, I will get high and fucking ride the most unsafe ride in the world and just fucking go, woo, and then we live through that shit, you know? Uh, like any other human. But Chip fucking went like, whoa. So as we were falling, I became hysterical with laughter. And the photo is of him choking me to death in furious anger. 
He's so angry that because when I'm real high and I'm hysterical, I go <laughs> like that. It's awful. It's awful. It's nothing's been this upsetting since Christopher Walken's haircut in a movie called Wild Side. Okay, if anyone's ever seen that movie, supposedly Donald Camel's last movie, uh, it, it, he has a, a Julie Chen's haircut. Not Julie Chen, Joan Chen. Did I just give him the haircut? Of one of the hosts of the talk. <laughs> Julie Chen's movie work. <sighs> the first morning TV show Wives Club was such a great movie. Eat, drink, go to commercial. That was such a good movie. Uh, Joan Chen is who I meant. Uh, Joan Chen's in the movie as well. It's, um, uh, I've forgotten her name now. She was Ellen DeGeneres' girlfriend once upon a day. Anne Hash. It's Anne Hash, Christopher Walken, Joan Chen. Uh, oh, yeah. It's fucking wild. And Christopher Walken is wearing a little Chinese girl haircut in the movie. <laughs> that even now mentioning it again and even now putting that uh, 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 image in your mind makes me feel bad. <laughs> One, that I know I won't be able to sleep when I wake up thinking about it. And two, that you're going to be driving tomorrow, possibly on the 405, and think to yourself, fuck, I didn't need that. <laughs> couple of facts, and then we'll roll on. Um, getting the Coens to explain the deeper motivations behind their work is generally a fruitless task. Uh, they wanted to make a, a, a hit, evidently, after, according to their sardonic way. And this is the quote from them. Ethan Cohn told American Film Magazine, we decided to sell out, and that was the first decision. Because, what was it? A comedy about an adorable baby. It's like a, che a real cheap and shameless bid at making a commercial movie. <laughs> I love that, of course, because they're always being sardonic. Uh, Holly Hunter and Frances McDormand have been roommates in New York when they were struggling actresses. Uh, McDormand landed the lead in, in Blood Simple. Uh, they wrote the lead role of the cop-turned-baby-napper Edwina for Hunter. It was her first lead role in a picture. Fifteen babies were required to play the five Arizona quintuplets. Joel Cohn said, we kept firing babies when they wouldn't behave. <laughs> and they didn't even know what they were, why they were being fired. That's what's so pathetic about it. I give you Raising Arizona. Hooray, what a picture. We'll chop for a couple minutes and then we'll blow into the good night. Uh, gee willikers, it's just as funny as I remembered. Uh, it really, really holds up. I think watching it again and again, there's so many parts that are your favorite part. But I think it was this time when he was in the supermarket and uh, the dogs were chasing him during that gigantic set piece. And uh, uh, he, he decides to sneak down one of the aisles and a bunch of shit blows up next to him and he looks up and the clerk in the grocery store is reloading his double barrel shotgun. And Nicolas Cage goes, he's hurt. He's emotionally hurt that every single person in the scene has shot at him so far. It's also been pointed out in the movie uh, and everything I was uh, looking at today. Every single character in this movie cries except Nathan Jr. <laughs> the brothers cry, Ed cries, H.I. cries, even, even Nathan Arizona cries. They all cry, but Nathan Jr. never cries. 
And Nathan Jr. does three of the best baby takes in the history of baby cam. When she says, hold on, and he pulls the hoodie down. That is fucking hilarious. Uh, nothing's funnier than a, ba- a pack of running dogs in the middle of a scene. Nothing's also funnier if you want to go for straight-up cliche, a woman in curlers pushing a grocery cart, being chased by a wild pack of dogs. Uh, Carter Burwell, Burwell's music in this is off the deep end hilarious. And the soundtrack itself, when they finally run into uh, 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 Childs and he's... Um, uh, you know, blown up the horizon in front of him and he comes over the hill. The music there, t- uh, uh, as I recall, it, it takes a horrible uh, turn for the macabre. But all of a sudden it's, Wah! and there's like shrieks on the soundtrack and everything. Even though the, uh, the violence is as wildly cartoony as it was in the beginning. Uh, if anyone wants to talk about it, we'll talk about it for just a couple minutes and then we'll blow. Um, uh, Robbo, you, Rob, you have a mic? Yeah, I do. He's got a mic. Uh, the man who saved our evening tonight. We were forced... I didn't even mention at the beginning of the show. Robinson, of course, uh, is running wild, as you can see, like an antelope through the crowd. But uh, 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 people who are listening to the podcast now need to know that uh, at the beginning of the night, Brett, who, uh, Brett Berg, who uh, is one of the people who works here and uh, helps organize this entire enchilada, uh, told us that the, the projector had broken and that... Um, there was only two or three choices in cans in the back of the Cine family here. And my choices tonight uh, were, if Robinson couldn't fix the projector, were going to be Faces of Death, which I don't know how many times I've seen it. I mean, you know, Christmas comes but once a year, but really, Faces of Death isn't just for breakfast anymore, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and the other two pictures were with Neil and I and Jerry Maguire. And, and he was like, what do you think Greg would have picked? Well, we've shown... With Neil and I in the film club, of course, because it's a superb motion picture. Uh, Jerry Maguire, I-, I think I've shown my support for Tom Cruise over the years by uh, believing in a dazzling array of bizarre belief systems that there's no support for. And that's how I try to do that. I keep it on my own. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a Tom Cruise um, movie in the Greg Proops Film Club in the near future. However, I may take a blow to the head with a wiffle ball bat uh, at some point, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, if I had to pick a Tom Cruise movie, I would pick Ghost Protocol. And I'm just saying it because I wanted to say the words Ghost Protocol. <laughs> I don't even know what Ghost Protocol is. But if suddenly I'm in a situation and there's a ghost, I'm kicking into Ghost Protocol uh, just to deal with those uh, situations. Um, I'm not, if I had to pick a Tom Cruise movie, it would be Legend because Tim Curry plays the devil. Thank you very much. Thank you. One, I'm not gay and I'm making no case for it. And two... Tim Curry plays the devil in it, and uh, for me, that's the whole enchilada. Uh, Robbo, someone wants to say something out there. Uh, hi. Yes, hi. Uh, what's your name? Michael. Hello, um, Michael. So I, I've, I've seen this movie hundreds of times, yeah. um, but I, I noticed something tonight that I've never seen before. It's a little Easter egg. Uh, Emmett Walsh is wearing um, the jumpsuit or whatever in, on, on his name tag. It says Hudsucker Industries. How about that? Yeah, that was awesome. I, right? That made me so happy. I, I love the Hudsucker Pox, which... Do you really? Also You're the one, then. Doesn't get, doesn't get played. Not my, not my favorite uh, Coen Brothers movie. I, it's like it's, it's, it's just a, as much a screwball comedy as... It is. is it's, I, I mean, I put it above uh, The Lady Killers. I mean, you know... Well, there's a few, obviously. Yeah, well. 
There's a, there's a few. What's the one where George Clooney and... Uh, 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 Intolerable Ch- Cruelty. Oh, Kittens McTavish. That one, is, that one is some fucking rough going. That is rough going. Uh, and they're fabulous. I mean, I love them, but yeah, that one's tough. Yeah, Hudsucker Park is in there. Did you notice his name's Herbert? Yeah. Uh, it's something you don't notice the first 82 times you see the movie. Kind of like Casablanca when you don't notice that Dooley Wilson's not playing the piano at all. He's just banging the keys. The next time you watch Casablanca, all those songs, Dooley Wilson's a drummer. And they made him play the piano in the movie. He just goes like this. You must remember this. And just goes like that. It doesn't do shit. It's fantastic. Yeah, his name's Herbert. Maybe it's not at that level, but you know what I'm saying. Anybody else? And then we'll... Go on, Rob. Oh, Jesus Christ. Don't ever, ever run at me like that again unless we're showing a Bruce Lee movie. Hi, Hi Grace. Liz. How you doing? Groovy, man. Um, this is off topic of tonight's movie, but um, Perfect. I, needed, I needed to ask it. Are you as incensed as I am that a group of Hollywood hacks is producing a remake of Point Break? Well, I don't have incensed the word. I'm hurt to the core of my emotional uh, being. How do you improve upon perfection? I so don't think you do. As I've said before on the show, when someone does a backward scissor kick wearing mom jeans and tight chi shoes... That's when you know Pat Swayze's come to make your world better. And I don't think you fix that. I don't think you make it better. Um, As we've talked about, Point Break is the greatest bromance in the history of bromantic comedy. There's a scene when uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, Patrick Swayze are walking along the beach, and they're attacked by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And when the gang fronts them, Patrick Swayze says, and this is one of the great lines in male fucking bonding movie history, He's with me. There's not a lot of movies where guys say that about each other, and it's, uh, it's pretty groovy. I, I've, I've, I've heard about it. I've read about it. I, I haven't seen a preview or anything. Um, I don't know if I'll see it. I, I, I tried to watch part of Rollerball when they redid it again, and Rollerball's not even in the same league as Point Break. Rollerball's just good fun, but it's, it's a pretty schlocky 70s movie. When you watch Rollerball again with James Caan, some of the scenes, every time they're on the rink, fucking magic. That movie's awesome. And, of course, as I've said on the show before, it includes the scene uh, where the coach says, uh, someone goes, it's just a game. And the coach goes, it's not a game. It was never a game. (laughs) That's fucking 70s riding at its highest caliber. A lot of you think it's the Godfather. Read you the funny papers. Mm, Anybody can write good. Uh, um, I'm joking, of course. But the the remake with, uh, uh, oh, crikey. It wasn't Chris O'Donnell. It was... um, was what's his name from Jerry Maguire? Wasn't it? Who was in the remake? It was Rebecca Romaine. What was his name? Chris Klein. Chris Klein. That's it. Was I got it wrong? It was the guy from uh, um, um, the, the election. Yeah, Chris Klein is in remake of Rollerball. That's just a shitty idea on paper. Like some some movies get made in Hollywood that like not only can you smell the meeting. You wish you could have run into the room and stopped the meeting before the meeting start by like going fire or whatever it takes. In a, what does it take in a Hollywood meeting to get everyone's attention? You know, money, whatever it takes to, you know, oh my God, there's Gentiles. Whatever it takes to get the meeting to break up right that second would have been a good thing to do at the rollerball meeting. When they were having the meeting and they fucking, everybody took their big pen out and made a big check mark where their fucking name goes and went, yeah, we're signing off on this fucker. And then you're like, really? Um, like, for instance, um, we showed Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, the original on this, uh, uh, on this podcast. 
Um, has anyone ever gone back and seen the Denzel Washington one? Like, does anyone go like, fucking, let's watch that one again? Like, no. Even this generation that grew up with that one isn't going to go back and watch that one. And no one's going to go back and watch uh, The Rollerball with Chris Klein. If you can avoid it, you will, I think. It's, kinda like, it's sort of like saying, yeah, I saw Psycho, but I saw the good one. You know what I mean? The Vince Vaughn psycho. That's the fucking psycho. Not Hitchcock Schmitchcock. I went Vince Vaughn. I wanted it to be in color and I wanted it to not be good ever. Was my criterion for the movie. Criteria. Criterion? Ah, thank you. Thank you for knowing, knowing your Latin suffixes. There's only two things I count on you for. One, to come to see Raising Arizona on a Monday night after Easter. And uh, I'm sorry I had an event last week during the Holy Days. And two, that you know your Latin suffixes. And that's more than any podcaster could ask of a crowd. I'm sorry if it's gotten a little sensitive here. <laughs> Anybody else or we'll just fuck off? Oh, what, do we know? We're not showing a movie next month, but we will show one probably in... July. We're going to be gone all of May, so maybe late June, early July, and then we'll do a book party. I have a book coming out called The Smartest Book in the World, and it's got a... Thank you for applauding. It's got, a, it's got several chapters on movies, including a, Sid, a Sydney Limit corner, and we've shown two Sydney Limit pictures uh, on the club. We've shown Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. The other two that we include are, are uh, uh, Network and... Uh, um, uh, uh, What's the one with Paul Newman? Now I've just forgotten it. The Verdict. Uh, maybe we'll show one of those. They're both awesome at any point. Uh, so we'll probably do another event here in, in the summertime, and it'll be a book event as well. And so we'll all go out and back and, and drink and whatnot and, uh, and talk about the book and how fucking great it is. And I think I'm thinking, although I don't think Jennifer's going to vote for this, uh, I'm thinking something like The Three Musketeers or maybe Help or something like that. Something fun, you know what I mean? Uh, nothing too heavy. I'm not going to show like the Garden of the Finzi Contini's or Showa or, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Brazil. Let's just all live it up, you know. Look, look. I want to show 1984 and then we can all have a few laughs. I don't think there's any movie uh, more fun to get high to or go get ice cream and then pickles uh, than watch 1984 and really live your life. Uh, yes, sir. We'll take your question and then and I thank you. Oh, by the way, if you want to pre-order the book, it's on gregproops.com and I thank you very much. I know Cheers. it costs money to come here tonight, but of course the podcasts are free to download, so I feel free to ask you to buy something. Just a quick statement and a question, if you don't mind. Just yeah, I wonder thank, what order they're going to be in. Uh, statement first, just wanted to thank you for uh, bringing this film here. I grew up on this thank film. You. It's a, for, I've been wanting to see it with an audience since I don't know how long. And I mean, thank you, you mentioned man. Lebowski earlier. I mean, I love the film, but it comes around to midnight movies like every other month or so. And this one, it's like, you know, first opportunity for a while. And, you know, like you said, I mean, you mentioning tonight that the Coens meant to do like a uh, commercial movie with this. I mean, there's been so many special editions of that and Every DVD, Blu-ray I've seen of this has been, you know, disappointingly bare bones as far as like hearing cast, crew say any anecdotes. It never gets much. resurrected. This one never gets. It's my yeah. first time to see it in a theater too. Nice. I've, I've only seen it on TV 422 times. <laughs> Speaking of uh, quirky 80s films, uh, I got to ask maybe as a suggestion, are you, uh, if you're a Terry Gilliam fan, a uh, fan of Time Bandits maybe? I like Time Bandits. I don't know that I'd show it, but I think Time Bandits is good fun. It has... 
Two of the lines that I remember the best are uh, uh, what is uh, John Cleese's Robin Hood, and he says, uh, "Oh, you'll love the poor; they haven't got two cents to rub together." And that one I thought was a very funny one. And uh, and then what Sean Connery's Agamemnon or some bizarre ass—that's the Terry Gilliam part. Only he throws Agamemnon into a film and expects kids to fucking laugh at it. <laughs> you know what Terry Gilliam film I like that no one fucking likes? Baron von Munchausen. I really thought that was awesome. There's an 80s one that no one will go for and that no one will show you, but there you are. Uh, thank you for your comment and your question. Uh, you've been a very lovely crowd, and I do appreciate you coming out tonight. Uh, I realize that the Monday after Easter is one of the most holy Mondays in the entire calendar, and that it's very difficult after a, a day of ham and, and peeps uh, to pull it together to come out uh, to see a picture, but I really do appreciate it. I know that the apathy level in Hollywood is almost at fever pitch at all times, and that you braved uh, traffic and people trying to kill you on the road here. Uh, so I know there's an extra uh, amount of uh, effort that goes into coming out uh, to see the pictures here. And also, there's that whole question of where do we park, and then the bizarre banana bungalow next door that always scares you when you walk by. So <laughs> this, has been the, this has been the Greg Poops Film Club. Thank you very much for coming out. We'll see you next time on another adventure. <laughs> 